as we heard in the first hour with the men, your word is more valuable than all the riches found in the world. Lord, today as we look into the exquisite wonders of your word, I pray, Father, that you might point us to Christ. We pray that we might understand the rich treasures that are found in him and in the gospel and in your wisdom, Lord, that you reveal your mind to us in the word of God. We thank you for those who have labored to copy it carefully, those who have died in order to translate it and provide it for many people to read in our own, our own heart language. We thank you, Father, that we are blessed to be able to hear today, even in this place, and we pray that your spirit would teach us today from your word that we might know you and know what it is to make you known more effectively. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I must say, it is quite a compliment if you ever have someone who chooses to mimic your life. A fellow by the name of Charles Colton got it right when he quoted that very familiar saying, imitation is the greatest form of flattery. When someone observes your life and they follow your example in some commendable area of your character traits, let's say. For example, let's say, suppose someone notices that in your life, uh, you're one of the few people in this area who is known for being prompt. Someone who comes in a punctual manner and you're there, whenever you say you're going to be there, you're there a little early or you're there all the way, all the time. You're, just, you're known to be a person who's prompt. And, they, and someone starts, oh, yeah, I'm sort of going to do that myself. I'm going to follow his example. That's quite a wonderful wonderful situation. Some re many reasons to rejoice about that. But I would say the flip side of that is it is quite sad, even tragic, when someone is observing your example in your life and your influence is such that you're leading them to do things that are wrong or character traits that are certainly not commendable. Uh, there's a French proverb that came across that says something to the effect, there is nothing more contagious than a bad example. Apparently people sort of follow that pretty easily, pretty often. But the fact is, when you think about it, most of us learn by following the example of the people around us. And that's why as we think today on our theme, uh, which is a verse of scripture found in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, you might want to find your way there, Pew Bibles 1365. 1365, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. When you think about what God is wanting to do through his people, that is the family of God, those who are the followers of Christ, one of the things that God is wanting to do is he wants to see this life on life process called discipleship. And he wants to see these fellow believers living out life impacting another life for the sake of the gospel and for the glory of Christ. And certainly it's going to include this element of influence and example and the idea of mimicking and modeling. So look at what the apostle Paul, as he wrote to the church there in Corinth, the Corinth had many problems in that church. There were many struggles, lots of issues going on, heart issues that need to be addressed. And so the apostle Paul challenges those believers in chapter 11, 
verse 1, which really is a continuation of chapter 10, by the way. So please don't let your divisions in your Bible, the large number, if you're sort of not familiar with the Bible, the larger number that you find in the, in the writings there is the chapter division, and the smaller numbers are the verse division. Those were not originally in the Bible. Those have been added by people who have tried to help us find our way so we can get to it rather quickly. But this is a very poor uh, division here. It's clearly something he's uh, summarizing from the previous uh, chapter. But he says, the first verse, Be imitators of me, Paul writes, just as I am also of Christ. Now, again, the exhortation is aimed in its context to the members of the church there in Corinth. And the issue going on among these various members that Paul was concerned about was the fact that they were at odds with each other over the use, or in some people's minds, the misuse of Christian liberty. That is, some people were saying, you know, it's no big deal for me to go ahead and use my liberty in certain ways. And other people were like, oh man, you're going to offend this person. You're going to encourage them to do what's wrong. And so Paul says, look, he encourages them to think about his own example, to follow him. And then he says, and, but really I think in the back of his mind is a concept and a truth that I think we all know deep down on a fundamental level. And that is that Christianity is more often caught than taught. You can do a lot of teaching about the Christian faith, but I'll tell you, people seem to catch it and they seem to grab it and they seem to take it with them when it is caught. That is, they've seen it lived out, they have seen the implications, they understand uh, the various practical dimensions of that, oftentimes because someone has demonstrated it to them. And we'll see that unfold through the message this morning. But clearly a godly example encourages beneficial, life-changing learning. A godly example encourages beneficial, life-changing learning. And that's true in our church family here. It's true in our families in our homes, it's true in our workplaces, it's true in school, it's true wherever people uh, operate as a group. Now I'd like to bring this text, uh, make some three observations on this text as we think about this concept of imitation and learning as we imitate. First point is this, very straightforward, imitation is biblically sanctioned pattern of learning. The, the idea of imitating other people is a biblically sanctioned pattern for learning. Now, I, I say that because let's back up one step even before that, and let's admit all of us learn by example. I think I said that earlier. All of us are imitators on some level. Many of us do so unwittingly. We're not even realizing how much we have been impacted by other people. I would even dare say some of us, when it comes to what you're wearing today, may have been dramatically impacted based on what you have seen other people wear or other people that you think uh, you like what they wear. So you've sort of joined with them, and none of us wore a cardboard box to church today, right? I mean, you've chosen to sort of say, I'm going to fit in with what culturally, many people here, you chose not to take a long garment that's, you know, 10 feet long piece of, garment, of cloth and wrapped it around your body, which some people in certain parts of the world, that, that's what they do. They, they always wear that. So we have been impacted dramatically by the idea of imitating people, even unwittingly, and we can't help it. 
particularly true in our earliest years. You know, little children are very observant. Amen, parents? Well, that wasn't a very strong amen. But anyway, I think it's a true, it's a true statement. Uh, little children learn quickly by copying their parents, particularly when it comes to what the parents say and what the parents do. It was James Baldwin who once said, Children have never been good at listening to their elders, but they have never failed to imitate them. There's a lot of truth to that. The story is told of a father who, on the occasion of going outside after having this terrible ice storm hit the area, the father goes out and he takes his seven-year-old's baseball bat didn't have anything else to use at the time, grabbed it out of the garage, and he's smashing the ice on the driveway in order to break it up and so that he could use then his shovel to push it off the way. After a long time of just smashing and shoveling, the guy goes back inside, he wants a cup of coffee, it's cold, and he thought, I'll come back a little later and I'll finish the job on the car, cleaning off the car. Well, several minutes later, his son walks in the, from being outside with his dad there moments ago, and he said, hey, Dad, he says, I got the ice off the car. Dad said, how'd you do that, son? The guy said, same way you did with the baseball bat. Kids are observant. They watch and they learn. It's not too surprising that the scriptures obviously are going to pick up on this concept about the importance of imitating and learning by imitation. I think God has wired us to be that way. It's something that just happens as part of the way he's made us in his image. And the pattern of learning by example is assumed and it is adopted as normative in the Christian life. Now I'm going to lay out for you a number of scripture passages. I encourage you to look at these later because we're not going to fully unpack them. But I'm just going to give you several examples of this just to make my point. It's very clear, I hope. Mark chapter 3, we read that Jesus is the first example. Jesus, letter A, he appointed the 12, why? So that they might be with him. Not just that they might read about him, but that they might be with him. What's the point of that? Well, being with him meant that Jesus wants them to spend time with him so that they can not only listen to what he has to say to them, but that they might watch him, that they might learn from him and the example that he lived out before them. You see, Jesus' incarnational ministry provided a consistent and profound example of holy, loving, God-honoring, obedient living. He gave an example. This is, how, this is how life is meant to be lived. Watch me. So much so that in John 13, Jesus, again, doesn't just teach lessons about serving. He actually modeled what serving looks like. And so he says, if then, having washed his disciples' feet, which is the exact opposite, and everybody in the room would have been totally embarrassed and ashamed. I mean, just absolutely Dying a hundred deaths, like, oh, this is not supposed to be happening. I feel awful. This is terrible. And so they are feeling the, the awkwardness of it all. 
And here's Jesus saying, If I then, having washed their feet, the Lord and the teacher washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. And listen to this comment. For I gave you a what? An example that you should do as I did to you. So there's the example. And you say, well, okay, serving's one thing, but you say, I don't know, my life seems to be filled with all sorts of disappointments and frustrations, and people are just so ridiculous in how they respond when I try to do the right thing, and I actually take a stand for honesty, or I, I try to work hard at work, and I get so much grief from other people. They, they, they just harass me. They, they give me all kinds of a, a hardship and an attitude and all this stuff. May I suggest you read First Peter, which we're doing in Sunday school, by the way. I hope you're with us next Sunday morning. First uh, Peter, he says in chapter 2, he says, how are we supposed to react when we suffer for doing what's right? Do we really react with patience, enduring those people, those situations? You say, well, how does this have to do with Jesus? First Peter 2 says, Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. See, Jesus was also treated very poorly for doing what was gracious and kind and the most loving thing ever. In his steps. I think there's some book called that, right? In his steps. It's like Jesus' life. It's exemplary. It's amazing. We can talk more about that later um, when we get to First Peter in Sunday school. Uh, when's that again? Next Sunday morning, right? 9.45. Okay. Jesus is an example, letter B. Paul is an example of this imitation principle. Paul urges his readers time and time again to watch, to notice the pattern of his life and to learn from his example. One illustration of this, Philippians chapter 3. Brethren, join in following my example. And observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. What amazing words he's saying. Live your life like we're living it. Philippians chapter 4 verse 9. The things you have learned, the things you've received from me, the things you've heard from me, the things you've seen in me. Practice these things. He's saying, you've watched me, you've listened to me, you've listened to what I've taught, teach about. Put those things into practice. That's learning, my friends. That's powerful principles about imitation and imitating those who provide a wonderful example. Earlier in the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul challenged again the same readers there in the church of Corinth apparently need a lot of help. They were rather childish, I would say, and I think it's very interesting where he says, okay, if you're going to, treat, if you're going to act like a child, I'll treat you like a child. Say, okay, I'm going to give you an example now. So you watch what I'm doing. He says, I exhort you, chapter 4, verse 16, Therefore, be imitators of me. Much more could be said about that, but let's move on now to the fact of not only Jesus and Paul, but there is also the early believers in the churches there in the first century, particularly in Thessalonica, where they are encouraged in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, after they came to faith and after they were changed and converted to Christ, we read this that these believers became imitators of Paul and Silvanus and Timothy, and they imitated, they became imitators of the Lord. I think he means the Lord Jesus, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit. I know I'm piling on here. Here's another example. In Paul's 
comments to the church there in Ephesus. He's encouraging them to be imitators of God, who is their father now, as they're now a believer in Christ. Be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. Live in love. Ephesians 5, verse 1. Now, there are many other reasons to, many other examples. I'll move on to one final one. That's where we get into church leaders. Leaders of a local church are encouraged to do this. Because another reason that imitation is such a biblically mandated pattern of learning is because God's truth demands it. Because how awful is it to be a person who says, well, I'm a follower of Jesus, and then watch them live, and they're living like a son of the devil. That just does not go together. I'm not asking for perfection here, but I'm just saying, if you say I'm following Jesus, and I'm going to show you how he's changing my life and the wonders of, of grace in my life, and you're a person who's bitter and critical and a person who's dishonest, and that's the way you're known as a character trait all the time. And so that's why, indeed, if you read Timothy and Titus as Paul's writing to some of these younger leaders of the church, he encourages them. First Timothy chapter 4, as was read earlier for us, the Apostle Paul says to Timothy, listen, be an example. Even though you're not an older gentleman yet, be an example to those who believe in the areas of what you say, in what you're doing, in how you love your relationships with other people, your faith and how you trust God, and in purity, living as a, listening as a person who's self-controlled and who lives as a pure life honoring Christ and, and the sexual standards found in scriptures. And then he says in Titus chapter 2 to Titus, in all things show yourself to be an example of good deeds with purity and doctrine, dignified sound and speech, which is beyond reproach, that the opponent will be put to shame having nothing bad to say about us. I look at it like this. When the Bible is encouraging leaders of the church to live a life that's exemplary, he's saying you are going to be able to put the gospel on display, put it on display that people, people want to look at it, not ignore it, and not go, ew. So, for example, if you take something that you have, use a frame. How many of you have something that you've framed in your home and you display it? Okay, most of you. Some of you are still sleeping. Okay, most of you have said that. All right, so if you take a frame, what's the purpose of the frame? The frame is to hold something in place so it doesn't get all bent up. It protects people from, you know, uh, bending it all up. And then it usually holds it so that it can be seen. It doesn't curl up or fall over or whatever. Imagine, though, if you take a nice photograph. or let, Let's say I have in my study, I have uh, uh, a diploma from when I graduated from college, let's say. It's in a nice frame. Suppose I take that, that, that diploma and I say, okay, I'm going to display it, but I'm going to use a Ziploc bag. And the Ziploc bag was the one that I rinsed out after I marinated the meat the other day after, after cooking out. I rinsed it out, but I didn't fully dry it out. But I put the diploma in there, and then I used a thumbtack, and I put it up on the wall. Now, is it displayed? It sure is for everybody to see. But what does it do? It doesn't draw attention to itself in a good way, does it? It's all like, ugh, what's that? What's growing in there? Oh, sorry. Okay. The point is this. The point is this. I think what Paul's saying is the way to make the gospel look 
more attractive, make Christ look all the more appealing, is that those who are the leaders of the church, they live that out in how they conduct themselves within the church family and in their everyday life. When we think about this example principle, it is so widespread, it is so fundamental. Clearly, it does touch on how we live every day. I must say, one of the bittersweet joys that I experienced here in the last weeks uh, ago, I went down to West Virginia for my mother's funeral. We always made a point to create times in which we can talk to people who knew my mother and so that we could talk to them as well and so we can have a time to, to share because many of us are from out of town. So we gathered with various folks after the funeral and I cannot get over it. We did this with Joyce's father, with her mother, with my father. We had opportunities to talk and listen to people. And I cannot tell you how deeply humbling and profoundly amazing it is to be blessed to have heard a number of people, particularly as I'm thinking about my mother, a number of people came up to me and said, you will not, not know how blessed I was to know your mother. She, she said so many kind things to me. She always said something to compliment me when she saw me. It was, it was just part of who she was. Of course, I'm thinking, is that the same mother that I grew up with? <laughs> and the truth is yes. The truth is yes, because my mother became sweeter as she grew in her faith. Particularly after my father died, I think my mother became just desperate for Christ. She was just so uh, yearning to know Christ deeper and deeper. And the sweetness just came out. It was Joyce's mother who, how many times did people say of her after she died, this woman prayed for me. All the time she would pray with me on the phone. She would follow up and ask about things that she was praying about for me. People are in her home. She opened her home and had hospitality. She had more people stay in that home or had a dinner around the table in that little tiny little house that was nothing impressive. But what a wonderful heritage and ministry. What an example. And so I again asked the question on this first point that it's, it is a God, it is a, a, a biblically sanctioned method. My question is, where are our models? As a church family, where are the models that we're holding up? You know, my heart goes out to a lot of the young people in today's world. I would hope and pray your models are not people who are from the hip-hop culture, who celebrate vulgarities, and who look at women as sexual objects, and who dangle and who display various forms of materialistic bling-bling everywhere as if it's, wow, that's, you're supposed to impress me with that? It's all empty. There's nothing there. How much more blessed are we as a church family to have godly older believers who are week by week, day after day, following Christ, nothing you're going to read about in some book somewhere, but they're living for Jesus. They're men of integrity. They're women of integrity. They're people of hospitality. They're people who are kind. People who offer kind words, prayer for you, prayer for me. These are the things that are to be treasured because that is how we learn. It's how we learn. And we're all still learning, are we not? Well, I've got to hurry up and go to the next point, number two here. Uh, second point is that imitation is a challenging pattern of learning. 
a challenging pattern. Here is Paul, if you think about it, or anyone for that matter, if you are urging someone to follow and imitate your life, you sort of are implying that your life is somewhat exemplary, right? Paul knew that there were more than a few believers there who were abusing their Christian liberty. And if you read 1 Corinthians chapter 10, I'd encourage you to sort of back up there, notice some of the wording there, because if you look at verse 24, for example, let no one seek his own good but that of his neighbor, 1 Corinthians 10. And then verse 33 of 1 Corinthians 10, just as I, he says, give no offense either to Jews or Greeks, church of God, just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but for the profit of many that they may be saved. So there, here's Paul's concern for lost people. Paul's concern is for people beyond himself. He's not living a self-indulgent life. And so he's determined not to seek his own good, but that of his neighbor. This pattern of life was not to abuse his privileges and liberties that were rightfully his, but he's thoughtfully exemplifying a concern. I want to show you how to be concerned about people and impacting their lives for the gospel. And so at, at times he's willing to forgo things so that he might impact people for good. Paul displayed self-denial that is a fruit that comes from treasuring Christ and the gospel. So he encouraged other people to treasure the same gospel and he said, follow my lead. Make Christ what you're treasuring and live for him. And you'll be amazed at how that changes how you live your life. It is my firm conviction, it is absolutely tragic when a person takes no thought as to the impact of his or her careless ways. And there are many people who I, as I said in Sunday school with the men earlier, there have been many men and different people, even women, who have not given much thought to what they have just about to do. And boy, oh boy, have they lived to regret it because that imitation, that example, is there for everyone to see. When it comes to light, that very sinful choice they made, which at the time seemed so exciting, seemed so enticing, how sad it is when people and their examples are an unhelpful example. And this is why a shepherd of a flock like this needs to be concerned not only with his own safety and well-being, but he's mostly concerned about the needs and the safety of the little lambs who are following along. The under-shepherd of the church, the church elder, is urged to discipline himself, Paul says, unto godliness, because there are many others who are following his leadership for better or for worse. When I was growing up, I've said this earlier, there was a fellow in my class in grade school who would write away for autographs. And so we, many of us did the same. Once he gave us the address, we'd write away to some of our heroes. And so I received uh, an autographed picture of Mickey Mantle, which I still have. And uh, it is quite uh, something I carefully take care of. So don't be messing around up here after the service. We have cameras that will watch you here, and you got little fingers that can't resist. Um, but, but how sad that a hero, he, will, he was a great athlete, no question about it, but what a sad one. At the end of his life, he's been about 10 years now he's died. At the end of his life, you know, he finally came clean and began to talk about the fact that there is a lot of sadness going on behind the scenes of his really glorious baseball careers and outfielder, New York Yankees. 
member of the Baseball Hall of Fame, admitting that most of his life as playing baseball was also mixed with abusing alcohol. And so there he is, sadly admitting at a news conference the year before he died, he said he admitted that he had squandered, squandered a gift given to him by God. He said this, quote, God gave me the ability to play baseball. God gave me everything. For kids out there, don't be like me. How sad. How sad. He warned his admirers that, admirers that he was no role model worth following. So I want to be clear at this point. Let me hear me carefully now. I am not suggesting that instead of that, that is a bad example, I'm not suggesting that we live as a people pleaser, that you try to impress people all the time into thinking that you really are better than you really are. Okay, I'm not suggesting that that is the compliment or the bright way. As Christians, we're to live for the glory of God. And when we live for the glory of God, we automatically are going to benefit those around us. It's just what happens. And, and whether they be those who are younger in the faith or those who are just younger in age, if we are discipling other people and if we're committed to saying, Lord, use my life to impact other people for the gospel that they might follow Christ and that they might pursue him with all their heart and all their mind, then the discipling process is going to be enhanced as we apply the truth of the gospel to our own hearts. And then we put that truth on display to those around us. As influencers, we will walk in wisdom when we what? Practice what we preach. And when we perform what we prefer others do, then your life is going to really start impacting people all the more. It's because it's not just words you're saying, you're demonstrating it in how you live. I dare say that none of us can reasonably expect our children to gain any sort of spiritual quality or character trait if we are living in such a way in which we actively contradict that as a lifestyle. Persistent inconsistency in our profession and in our practice will no doubt provide the people that we love, the people that we are supposedly trying to disciple, whether it be our children or someone else around us, they will provide them a disincentive to follow Christ and to be his disciple. If you want your children, therefore, to enjoy and to come with a good attitude to corporate worship, then I would suggest that you have a celebratory attitude about corporate worship in your own life. If you want your children to be kind and considerate, be caring, be magnanimous yourself. If you want your children to have the word of Christ dwelling richly within them, I would urge you to be a person who reads thoughtfully and carefully and meditates upon the Word of God yourself. Indeed, let us spur each other on to love and good deeds. Spur each other on. Not putting up a barrier in front of people so that they cannot be pursuing Christ. Let's be those who spur them on, encourage them, and lead them on through our own example. Point number three, got to hurry up here and finish. Uh, imitation is an imperfect pattern of learning. 
Imitation is an imperfect pattern of learning. Christ, I mean, Paul said at the end of that verse in there, verse 1, he says, just as I also am imitating Christ. Christians of all people, I hope, are one of the first to admit that we are not perfect. If you are here today, I hope that you're not among us as a person who is reticent to admit that you have faults. If you don't and aren't willing to do that, then I'd like to come talk to you for a little while or talk to somebody who knows you really well, and they, I assure you, they can help persuade you that that is true. That's not something we're making up. When it comes to imitation, we must be aware that our faults are ever before those of us who are realizing that our life is impacting people around us as a role model. When I grew up, one of the things my mother used to always do to try to inculcate manners in us is say, now Mark, would you do that if you were invited to the White House? <laughs> this is at the dinner table. So unfortunately, that particular approach began to have lessening effects upon us because we don't have royalty in our culture. So the White House is like the epitome of you know, state the state uh, dinners and things like people are wearing the top of everything the food is outrageous you know whatever well about the time I was in that age period it was during the years of Jimmy Carter and President Carter was from Georgia and he was a really laid-back kind of guy and they had jeans and picnics in some of the gatherings at the White House for the big important people who came in so that didn't seem to really sway me much in terms of but anyway let me tell a story about the idea of uh, our example um, being imperfect at times. Pa President Calvin Coolidge, I'm told years ago, had some folks from his hometown invited to the White House. And they were very uncomfortable about that because they were like, I don't know how to behave in these situations. So they all concluded, we're going to do whatever, we're going to keep our eyes on President Coolidge. Whatever he does, we're going to do. And so they watched him during dinner, everything went fine, then it was time for coffee, and so they're serving the coffee, and so the President puts over for the guy to serve him. He holds out his saucer. Now, some of you don't know about tea. That's the plate that goes underneath the cup. Okay, just, just, just in case you're not with me here. Okay, he takes the plate and he says, put some coffee there, put some coffee there, put a little cream in there, put a little sugar in there. He's stirring it up. And everyone around the table from his hometown doing the same thing, holding their saucer out, putting sugar in there, putting cream in there. And they're all getting ready to, right? And the president leans over and puts it on the floor and calls the cat. <clears throat> so what's the point of that crazy story? Okay. The point here is, how do we qualify our example? If you're calling people to follow you, you have to put some boundaries on that. Look how Paul says it. He says in his exhortation, follow me as I am following Christ. It's important that the Corinthians distinguish between the attitudes and the actions in Paul that were in accord with Christ's will versus those which were not in accord with Christ's will. It's an important point here. All of us must carefully evaluate each person's example by the example of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the ultimate standard by which we must judge any and every role model. No matter how important, no matter how much authority they may have, no matter how many degrees they may have, no matter how many 
uh, fancy names they have before their name, titles that they may have, doesn't make any difference. It, Jesus Christ was truly divine. He, yes, he was without sin, but he was also truly human, and he faced similar situations, if not worse than what you and I face, yet without sin. And the gospel celebrates the fact that, obviously, those of us who fall short and who clearly are not without sin, who fail often, just give us about 20 minutes and we'll say something that really was not very thoughtful or kind or true or whatever. It doesn't take long, James says, to sin with what we say, much less anything else in our life. And therefore, the more we realize, as this idea of being a good model is, I can't be a 100% great role model for anybody all the time because I need a Savior who was 100% holy and righteous all the time and who lived a perfect holy life and kept the law and never rebelled against God no matter what, no matter when, no matter how he felt, no matter what the weather was like, no matter what was going on around him. You and I will fail. We do fail. We will fail. We have failed. Therefore, the call is to come to Christ. We need a Savior. We need a rescuer. The person who took our things that we did wrong, the fact that we have broken God's standard, we rebelled against them, we have now a someone who died for us and who was raised to life to show that we can be forgiven and granted eternal life as a gift by grace. I don't know if you've ever taken that step, my friend, but that's a good place to begin is to say, if you are judging Christianity based on other Christians you know, be careful. You need to judge it by Christ alone because he was the only one who lived the perfect life. Don't dismiss Christianity because you ran to some goofball along the way who said he was a follower of Jesus and lived a crazy life that was totally disconnected from what the teachings of Christ was. Real quickly, let me bring this to a conclusion here. For many of us, as we look back on our childhood, we need to evaluate our childhood by the Word of God. Hear me out. There have been some actions and attitudes that we saw, surely, modeled in your home or wherever you were raised before us by our parents, our guardians, that I assure you, and we all know, they were not pleasing to Christ. None of us lived or raised by Jesus Christ. We were raised by people who are fellow sinners. And some of those things were not appropriate for us to see. Some of those things were not appropriate for us to experience. And we must be discerning in these areas. Some of us grew up perhaps in a culture that said, Dad is always right. Do this or you die, you know, kind of thing. Big, big authoritative figure, which you could never, ever hold him accountable for anything. But the fact is that some of us clearly need to be discerning in these areas and, and begin to realize, not through children's way of thinking, but through adult ways of thinking and through the maturity of the Scriptures and understand that there are some areas of life in which we need to unlearn what we have learned because the role models were not following Christ. Some of that has to do with how husbands treat their wives. Some of that has to do with how wives relate to their husbands. Some of that has to do with understanding that there were some things that were considered to be normative. This is the way everybody does things. That's not true because if it's not accordance with the Word of God and God's standards, therefore it is not something you should be repeating in your own life. One example I would suggest is anger. 
Some people grew up in a home where anger was so often expressed in sinful ways. It was the explosive volcano that wreaked havoc on anybody and everybody who was within ears, earshot or who could actually be in the same vicinity and actually receive physical harm because someone is out of control with their anger. That is not in keeping with the example of Christ, my friend. Jesus experienced anger, yes, but it was a holy righteous, controlled anger that was expressed in appropriate ways in light of that which was dishonoring to God. Always. So for some of us, it was customary to see and have expressed expletives and various explosions of destructive anger in our homes. But may I remind you that the gospel says to us, which is absolutely incredible that we who are unworthy who are rebels who are defying uh, uh, people who have terrible attitudes toward God, disrespectful attitudes toward God, that God in the gospel declares that those who are so unworthy, he declares us to be his children and adopts us, welcomes us loves us, embraces us cleanses us elevates us, owns us, calls us his own. And when the gospel does that, then we now are relating to God on the basis of being his adopted child. And therefore, as one who is adopted child of God who trusts in Jesus Christ for his saving, for, for salvation, we are therefore encouraged to imitate what our Father is like in heaven. We're to respond as our Father responds. You say, I can't do that. That's why the gospel keeps pointing us to Christ, keeps pointing us to be who you are, live out who you really are in Christ. Receive the grace from the Holy Spirit. Receive the grace that comes to us from Christ. And our challenge is to renew our minds, particularly if you come from a background in which you saw so many poor modeling of behavior before you of sinful behavior that seemed to be normative but it's not normative is to relearn is to rethink is to renew our minds to measure everything by the word of god and therefore you would apply those standards into whatever area of your life that was a poor standard and you would say well it comes to money i'm going to learn to handle money as the scriptures encourage me to do so i will honor god in the handling of my money in terms of my integrity my honesty i will be a person who moves in that direction if i deceive someone i'll be honest i'll admit it i'll seek to have that correction in that person what's well, my sexuality and how i express it appropriately i'll honor god rather than the ways i've done it in the past in shame and in brokenness whether it's in communication my words are going to build up my words are not just here to destroy people the gospel helps us do those things you say well how will i unlearn it keep your eyes on christ keep reading jesus Look at how Jesus handled people. Look at what Jesus did. Go back to him again and again and again. All right, I'm going to land this plane. Having said all these things, many of us are aware that we as adults, as parents, that we're not like Christ. There are many areas of our life we have had to admit, that was, I really fell short in that area. It's important that we incorporate confession of sin 
an admission of failure into our family culture. That means as a church culture, church family culture, it also means in our own family culture at home. Being able to say, you know, I really admit my attitude, my words, my actions, my not being there for you, my being out of control because I was hooked or under the control of some other substance or whatever it is, it's important that we be able to say to people, I take responsibility for that. I deeply regret that. I understand how that's impacted your life and hurt you. I'm asking, would you please forgive me? You would be amazed at how powerful that is. It is powerful. That's where the gospel really starts rocking your family life. And I've been there, my friends. I've made that acknowledgement of sin a number of times to my adult children. And they know, they know that I certainly was no perfect pastor. But let me tell you something. The gospel is what we hold on to because in all of our failings, the only hope is Christ. And so it's a freeing thing to be able to admit that and say, well, you know, I did mess up. And therefore, because Christ has forgiven me, I'm asking, will you forgive me? What a beautiful thing when it happens, my friend. So don't become a person who is bitter and indifferent to other people, unwilling to address things, and you build up a wall between you. Say, ah, I'm not going to talk about those things. Ridiculous. The guy's an idiot. He'll always be an idiot. He'll die an idiot. That may be true. That may be true. Some people don't want to face these things. The question is, is your heart willing to forgive and to work through the process, have those hard conversations. For many of us, following Jesus means we need to focus on his humility. Confessing wrongs, that's not Jesus, but that's where we have to say part of humility is I have to confess my wrongs. It's a powerful, powerful way to impact other people for Christ and the gospel because we don't have to be messiahs who have our act together. We can acknowledge we have failed. That's good. It's healthy. All right, one final thing. I'm convinced that people obviously are going to disappoint us. People are going to let you down. You can be sure that every human hero you will ever identify in this world, apart from Jesus Christ, every human hero will disappoint you and does have a character flaw if not many of them. And therefore, it is so urgent that you what? Keep your eyes on Jesus. He will never, ever disappoint you. He will never point you in the wrong direction. He'll never say these steps are not worthy to be walked in. Follow his steps. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that you have not left us without help as learners. Lord, I'm the first to admit I have a lot yet to learn. But I thank you that the gospel is filled with promises for those who humbly admit they need to learn and those who admit that they're not perfect, those who admit that they've gone astray, those who admit that they have defied you and who have broken your laws and who have gone way out of bounds. We thank you that there's hope for all of us, Lord, in our brokenness. We thank you for the excellent model that Jesus Christ has provided to us, a life perfectly lived, a death graciously offered, a resurrection powerfully affirming that there is forgiveness and new hope and new life in him. 
I pray, Lord, that the gospel will motivate us to be life-on-life disciplers, people who imitate what you're like with people around us. And, Lord, our life will commend the gospel. Our life will be like a frame that says, look at Christ. Look at the glories of the gospel. Look at how God works and transforms unworthy sinners into people who begin to show forth the beauty of Christ. Lord, use us to be those people, we pray. And may your power and grace be mighty among us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.